Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, listeners. Uh, it's your pal Mim here. And before we get into our Mean Girls episode, I just want to do a quick plug of something that you might be interested in. Um, I'm sure many of you know that I have a cabaret show. It's called Friendly Feminism for the Mild Mannered, and it's a cabaret show about feminism, if it's not obvious from the title. Um, a bit into feminism. Uh, you'll all be shocked to hear, uh, given that you're listening to this uh, feminist podcast currently. Uh, but basically, I wanted to tell you that Friendly Feminism is currently on Fringe View. Uh, it's this awesome new initiative where Fringe have... Uh, created a platform so that artists can upload videos of their work or do live streams of their work um, and people can buy tickets to have access to um, these videos. So my show, Friendly Feminism, a recording from our Fringe season this year um, is currently up on Fringe View. So if you give that a quick Google Friendly Feminism on Fringe View, you'll be able to buy a ticket and uh, watch the recording of it. So uh, if you if you missed it, if you keen to see it again if you've seen it thanks um and if you're somebody who is just intrigued pop on the fringe view website have a look friendly feminism for the mild-mannered by millicent Saar. would love to see you there metaphorically speaking because it's a video <laughs> feminism, feminism 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 ruins everything it's a feminist podcast Hello, welcome to Feminism Ruins Everything, the feminist podcast where we give feminist critiques to movies, musicals, and pop culture phenomena and potentially ruin them. Potentially. Potentially. We have, I have a feel like, spoiler alert, I don't think we're going to ruin the thing that we're talking about today because we are talking about Mean Girls, the seminal 2004 film and also the 2000. 18 musical just having to check my notes that i'm getting these dates right because <laughs> fact, check yourself, Ellis. fact checking is very important and i'm sure that all of our listeners out there will will jump down our throats at the the first instance of an incorrect <laughs> fact absolutely <laughs> i think um that's an interesting point to talk about the fact that um the movie came out in 2004 and the musical came out in 2018 um just there's so much so much has changed over those 14 years between the movie existing and then the musical mm. coming into existence. Um, I think maybe we'll, we'll delay that discussion for a bit further down the track, but I think it's an interesting talking point how some of the themes will have shifted because of um, what has changed over mm. the noughties and the 2010s. There's no real good word for that decade. There is really there. isn't. We're just going to have to... The, the 2010s is probably the best, and even mm. that's really clunky. It is. Um, it is. <laughs> But I, but I mean, not just in terms of the way that society has progressed, but like the, the advent or invent, I can never remember which one's correct, of social media yeah. and the internet plays a huge role in the the musical's version of yeah. the story that just didn't exist uh, back in the day. Yeah, and when you're trying to give an accurate and a truthful representation and critique of um, 
high schoolers. Like, it's such an important factor now mm-hmm. that just wasn't a thing in 2004. Speaking of which, uh, we are a big fan, I think. Again, Ellis, you kind of spoiled this already that we're probably not going to ruin it. Um, but a big fan of the critiques that this... Um, that both the movie and the musical bring to, um, you know, high school cliques, um, how young women interact with one another. I mean, how young women and young men and non-binary people interact with one another as well. Um, And I think we're going to start out with a bit of a top five of, like, the either, like, one-liners or, like, the hard-hitting truths that we just think, like, really hone home the fact that this is like a pretty feminist work, <laughs> if the truth be told. From from the get-go of both versions of this story, they, they make it very clear that they are kind of critiquing and satirizing yeah. a lot of the elements. Like, like in the musical, um, the first thing that our narrators uh, sing is, this is a cautionary tale. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so it's, it's, it's like... Yeah, very very on the nose about how it's critiquing the things that it's about to discuss, which also kind of allows the characters to demonstrate a lot of non-feminist actions mm. for them to learn the lesson by the end of the film. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I think also in the movie, and they kind of do this in the musical as well, how um, Katie almost has like a bit of a an anthropological view of everybody that she's in school with, how like everyone, it becomes the, the watering hole in the mall and everyone becomes animals. She's kind of like sitting there and dissecting everything that's going on. And that kind of really sets you up for, okay, we're looking at this critically and we're kind of evaluating this rather than um, just taking everything that these characters do as... Um, on face value. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Ellis, do you want to get us kicked off on number five of our top five hard-hitting feminist moments from the movie (laughs) and musical? Not a catchy title. We are not good at this catchy title Um, thing. uh, Top five things that are most fetch about (gasps) Mean Girls. That's good. That's you've made fetch happen. Yes. (laughs) Yes, we did it, Gretchen. (laughs) Um. The, the first the first moment that we want to talk about um, uh, that was hard hitting is the first time the plastics and Katie go to Regina's house and they kind of they walk into Regina's bedroom and they throw their bags down and the first thing they do is go and stand in front of the mirror and start um, talking about how bad their bodies are. Yeah, they just like keep nitpicking out these little things about themselves like. My hips are too wide, or my shoulders are too big. Yeah, my uh, calves are huge. My pores are enormous. And and Katie says, uh, so in the film, she narrates uh, this line, I used to think there was just fat and skinny. Apparently there are a lot of things that can be wrong with your body. Mm-hmm. And it just kind of exemplarizes the fact that, like, uh, um, the fact that society has kind of conditioned women to strive for this unattainable physical ideal. And I think the most interesting thing about that scene is the fact that Katie's there who hasn't been brought up in the same society as them and hasn't had the same societal conditioning 
Um, I think in the film she says something like, uh, it's sometimes my breath smells bad in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like, has to, like, fabricate something because she hasn't learned and hasn't been taught to um, to pick out all of her flaws. And I think that's such an interesting um, thing to note because it's, like, it's a critique of the society that the plastics grew up in, not the, you know, um, homeschooled jungle Kenyan version that Katie grew up in. It's not. It's not an innate. Instinct. Absolutely, yeah. It's very much a taught thing, yeah. And also kind of expected. Like after the plastics have all kind of riddled off the the ways that their bodies are supposedly flawed, they all look at Katie expectantly. Mm. Yeah. It, it's it's just the done thing of like, well, of course you have to disparage your own body yeah, yeah. in this way, uh, even even though they all look like incredible. They're all, like... Yeah, and also they're kind of... Like, this clique at this school is, like, top shit. Mm. Like, um, they're all seen as kind of the people that are most fulfilling the Mm -hmm. um, societal ideas of feminine beauty, you know? And they still um, are picking out these flaws with themselves. And I think um, that's kind of... That ties into the idea that no matter how attractive you are, you're always going to find fault with yourself. Like, there's there's no point trying to attain this unrealistic idea of beauty because by striving for it, you're just kind of playing into um, this societal game where you're always going to find things that you can improve on. And, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a capitalist thing. That's a mm-hmm. patriarchal thing. That's a product of, um, you know, the beauty industry and the diet industry that every... Thing that a lot of what you're consuming just kind of plays on your insecurities and tries to get you to find flaws that you didn't even know were there so that you buy more shit to fix it. Mm-hmm. I didn't think that our first item on this list was going <laughs> to spark such a discussion, Ellis, but it did. Turns out, Mean Girls, a lot to say about feminism. And on a feminist <laughs> podcast, we've got a lot to talk about. We've got a lot to say. Mim, what's number four? What's the number four fetchest thing? <laughs> So the number four on our list is um, something that happens in the musical. Um, this doesn't happen in the movie, but um, it's a really great moment in the musical where there's this song that Damien sings uh, called Stop, where he is trying to convince Katie to not text Aaron for the fourth time in a row without a response and is kind it, of... like To be honest, it's a flimsy excuse for... To essentially do turn it off from Book of it, Mormon. Oh um, wow! Yeah, it really is. <laughs> it really is. It's a it's a great showcase of Damien's yeah. abilities. He gets like a tap solo and everything. Yeah. But it, I I feel like it is a really it's a weak premise. It's a weak a premise. <laughs> um. <laughs> but it does set up this amazing moment that Karen has, where um, she's like, stop. Do you want to give us a Do you want to give us a dramatic reading of this moment, Ellis? <laughs> um, here, here it is. Karen's verse is stop. When you have a huge crush on a boy and he asks you to send nude pics and you're like, wow, he likes me. So you send them, but you don't crop your head off because you're only 13 and don't know any better. And I guess his friends shared them because now you're all over a porn site called Amateur Tweens. Stop, because I'm actually a human being and not a prop. And then she has this really sick one-liner where she goes... 
no, I only get naked in person. And someone should just teach boys not to do that in the first place. Bam! And then she, like, tap dances off stage. (laughs) (laughs) It's so good. Um, Karen in the musical, uh, Karen in in all of it, just great. Great character. And she has a habit for just saying things. Mim, you put it really well in the sense that Karen is characterized as the stupid one, but these things are so obviously Mm. clear to even her that it's like, why isn't this just common knowledge? Yeah, like if if the stupidest, in inverted commas, character in the show can understand that if you receive naked photos of somebody, you shouldn't then send them to other people, then everyone should get that. Like, it's that much of a (laughs) no-brainer. This this is one of those examples that um, I think Mean Girls does a lot of subtle satire and then a lot of smacking you around the head with the obvious. And this is definitely one of the latter, but a very effective way of conveying that message as well. Yeah, absolutely. Then what's number three? Number three is something, it's a line that's in both the movie and the musical. Um, I really like, so Tina Fey wrote both um, the movie and also the book so like the the script of the musical and I like that she's clearly been like oh that line was good I'm keeping that <laughs> <laughs> like all the most of the really iconic lines are still there with the exception being we were talking about this before because we're mad about it the, the line um, raise your hand if you've ever been personally victimized by Regina George is not in the musical which is a crying shame it's a real shame um slight tangent when um <laughs> <laughs> Wait, we're, we're however many minutes in and we've already got our first tangent. It might be a what? new record. Um, when Mean Girls the Musical was nominated for the Tony for Best Musical, Tina Fey presented the performance at the Tonys and she came out into stage and she said the words, all four musicals tonight are based on a film or movie, uh, a TV show or movie, but only one of those movies bought me my boat. <laughs> Oh, is... Tina Fey, if you're listening, we love you. <laughs> oh, that's so iconic. Oh my God, bless her. Brilliant. <laughs> anyway. anyway, we got really sidetracked, but a zinger that Tina Fey wrote for both the movie and the musical um, is the line that Janice says, that's only okay when I say it, because she has made this like, comment that, kind of keeps coming up she's like oh this is Damien he's almost too gay to function and then Katie has repeated that to the plastics they've put it in the burn book um and I think she has a moment where she's like oh maybe that was only okay when Janice said it Mm -hmm. um and then Janice confirms that by later on when the burn book is exposed saying hey that's only okay when I say it um and I think that that line is so important when you're talking about the way that you interact with the people that you love and the way that you talk to people that you have a really good established relationship with and the the language that you use with them and it really taps into this idea of um, there being these subtle nuances um, in your conversation and the fact that context is everything when it comes to the language that you use Mm. It's it's so important to consider everything. There's a lot of nuance to to that line, and particularly the relationship between Janice and Damien. They're both so accepting of each other mm. in whatever ways, and 
it, it's so, like utilizing the word gay in uh, from Janice's perspective is not an insult. Absolutely not. But particularly at that time, I can't remember if anybody specifically uses it that word as a derogatory derogatory term in the movie. But certainly around that time, and certainly when I was at high school, gay was a put down. Mm. And so, in the the an aggressive context, that's quite a, a supposedly hurtful thing to call. Yeah. Some, sorry, supposedly such a hurtful thing to call somebody. The context being that obviously um, Damien and Janice are so close and it's so clear in their friendship that she is so loving and accepting of everything that he is, um, including his sexuality, that it's really obvious that that's not coming from a vitriolic place. Mm -hmm. That um, it's just like a sweet um, kind of funny thing to say about your best friend. it's, It's in that way that like... It's almost the better you know somebody and the closer you are with somebody, the more horrible things you can say about them. Like you can rip into your best friend and like go places that you wouldn't go with anyone else. And it's totally fine because everybody has that understanding Mm. that it's okay in this context. Um, Whereas if you did that, made that joke about a stranger or somebody who you didn't have a good relationship yeah. with it means something hate, very hate different speech. it's hate speech <laughs> yeah um context is everything and having an underlying and supportive and meaningful relationship underpinning the <laughs> insults that you hurt your best yeah. friend uh, are so important like ellis i make fun of you all the time for your inability to remember lyrics <laughs> and that's, that's because it's based in truth, man. <laughs> <laughs> but I probably wouldn't be so scathing to you about it if uh, we weren't already very close. It, it, it was really fun. Um, I directed Mim in uh, a song cycle a couple of years ago, and it was a really wonderful experience getting to work with one of my best friends. Uh, that's me. But also being able to, to use very... Uh, quick and easy and very personal shorthand <laughs> to to just go, oh, it's like this. and It's like this very intimate detail about you that not many people know, but like you get exactly what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, good, cool, we're on the same page. You know that thing that scarred you a couple of years ago? I'm just going to flippantly bring it up and we'll all be fine. And uh, So tap into that. Right, cool, yeah. You're really picking up what I'm putting down, cool. One of the best performances I've ever seen Mim give. It was great. <laughs> Directed by Ellis Dorn. <laughs> um, so yeah, we really like the idea of Janice being like, that's only okay when I say it, because it really kind of summarizes in a really quick, snappy phrase that whole idea that um, context is everything. Mim, what's number two on our <laughs> list of ways that Mean Girls is fetch? So number two comes from the musical. Um it's from a song called I'd Rather Be Me, which is the song that Janice sings in the bit where everyone's kind of apologizing and they have this huge catharsis in the gym where everyone is um, trying to, you know, get over the click problem that they have. And she sings this incredible song. It's called I'd Rather Be Me and probably one of the more well-known songs mm. from the musical. 
Um, it's an absolute tune. If you haven't heard it, you should listen to it. Um, but the lyrics in the second verse are just so great. And um, the, the ones that I particularly like are, we're supposed to all be ladies and be nurturing and care. Is that really fair? We boys have to fight. We have to share. Here's the way that plays out. We always understand how to smack someone down with our underhand. I think I've like butchered those lyrics. I think it's slap someone down with our underhand. Um, But what I really like about these lyrics is this idea, what I get out of those and um, what I understand them to mean is this idea that women, teenage girls, young girls even, um, are discouraged from... Um, expressing any emotion that could be viewed as unladylike. So um, we really have it hammered into us that like to to be angry, to be um, like really openly frustrated, um, is such an unladylike emotion. And so um, we have to find other kind of sneakier ways to um, express these emotions and it normally comes out in this like sneaky bitchy kind of way against other women and kind of the the mental leap that i take is that the reason that these cliques and that this high school teenage girl bitchiness happens is because we can't just openly get angry at one another um because that's unladylike so we have to um find these more deviant ways to um to express those emotions it's also expressed really nicely in the film uh there's a moment where regina is flaunting aaron in front of katie and katie's like if we were in kenya this is how it would happen and they immediately turn into like lions and they start attacking each other and like everybody around them screaming like like (laughs) animals and stuff like that uh, and then it cuts back to reality, and Katie's like, but this is girl world, and you've got to be sneaky. And it's just such a wonderful encapsulation of that idea. Mm. And there's also, we were talking about this idea before we started recording, us about um, or this one particular scene where they're at the mall, and um, the plastics and Katie see um, Jason. Jason. Um, with another girl, and Jason has kind of like had a thing with Gretchen. Yeah, that... Gretchen and Jason have had this thing and Jason doesn't seem really interested in it anymore because uh, he's, he's on a date with another woman. And when the Plastics see, see them together, uh, Regina immediately jumps uh, on, a, on a plan to, to extract revenge. But she doesn't target Jason. She targets the girl he's on a date with mm. who we've never seen before has never done anything to the plastics and hasn't done anything wrong except be in the company of somebody that Gretchen's got her eye on Mm. and it was it was really I find it really fascinating that it wasn't we've got to get back at Jason it's we've got to get the woman who got between us or whatever and yeah it's it's never yeah it, it just reminds me of all those stories of like um like a wife discovering that her husband's cheating on her and so she goes after the woman that he's been sleeping with. I'm like, no, he's the one that did the wrong thing. It's yeah. his, like, yeah. go after him. Don't go yeah. after this other incidental person. Like, yeah. go after the person who actually... 
did the wrongdoing in the first place, you know? Yeah. And Mim, what is our most fetch thing about Mean Girls? Um, I think our most fetch, hard-hitting, one-liner moment is something that Miss Norbury says um, in the scene where, like, everyone is in the gym and they're trying to get through to them, you know? And she says, you've got to stop calling one another sluts and whores because it just makes it okay for guys to call you sluts and whores. Like, how perfectly encapsulated is that idea in that one line? It's so effective, I think. So wonderful. And that, that whole sequence where she is just talking to the, the, the cohort is, is just full of lines like that. That's just like, here is the entire point of the, mm-hmm. the story, and it's, we're just conveying it to you in the most openly honest way that we can. And it's just wonderful. Yeah. And um, I just think that Miss Norbury, as a character, is phenomenal. Like, Tina Fey, congrats. You have uh, written this great uh, film and this great script for a musical, and you've, in the movie, at least cast yourself as the best character. Like, good, good, good <laughs> well call played. by you. Well, well played. played. Um, and I, what Miss Norbury stands for and represents for me is the fact that doing the right thing and um, taking the moral high ground and consistently, yeah, doing, doing the right thing um, isn't necessarily glamorous or sexy or even particularly well perceived by the other people around you. Um, like, obviously, the plastics and, like, a couple of other students, like, give the impression that, like, Miss Norbury isn't particularly cool. Um, she's, she's so weird. Yeah, and... a bit of a loser. Um, but she's one of the only characters in the whole film or movie, as it were, who I think doesn't have any, like, terrible, like, moral blights against their name, you know? Like, I think she's one of the characters that... Um, gr- granted, we're comparing her to... Um, all the other characters, most of whom are, like, teenage <laughs> people. Still um, developing and learning. Yeah, like, your fr- prefrontal cortex hasn't been developed yet. Um, you know, your, your best... your et- Most ethical decision-making doesn't happen in high school, by any means. Um, but, yeah, I think she's one of the characters that is consistently morally and ethically sound, and she doesn't do it because it um, makes her more like attractive or seem cooler or um, give her any like ticks in anyone else's book. She just does it because it's the right thing. And I think that that's sick. I think it's very telling as well that uh, she, her life outside of the school doesn't seem to be all that together. Like she opens the film by saying, I just got a divorce and she works three jobs and Mm. uh, a student accuses her of being a drug pusher and police raid her house. Uh, But at no point does she take that out on her students. Mm. Uh, At no point does does that impede her wanting the kids to succeed and grow. She's kind of like the, one of those, those teachers that, you wish everybody got to have mm, in high school. Yeah. There's also this really cool moment um, in the musical where 
Um, she, it's like the first time that we meet her in the um, AP maths classroom. At AP, is that correct? Advanced something? I don't understand how American school calculus? works. Oh, yeah, it's calculus. Anyway, this class that <laughs> she teaches, um, where like two things happen immediately that I was like, oh, yeah, that's really sick. One of the students, it's, it's Kevin. She like calls him by something else and he's like, oh, no, I'm going by Kevin now. And she's like, okay, cool, Kevin, no worries. And then like two seconds later, another character, I think it's Shane Oman, like says something like crass towards her. And she's like, nope, absolutely not. Like, like shuts <laughs> it down immediately. And in this like 30 second sequence, you're like, you are the queen of setting and respecting boundaries. Like, yes, Miss Norbury, what a legend. Oh, she... The, the, welcome to another installment of <laughs> Ellis's favorite characters in the teen high school romp are the teachers. Uh, because, yeah, Mrs. Every time, it helps that she's played by Tina Fey. Absolutely. Um, like, no, no disrespect. I think it's, it's Carrie Butler. Carrie Butler, uh, yeah. Played it on Broadway. No disrespect like, to her. Whom I love. Like, amazing. I love Carrie Butler. Like, that twang is just, like, <laughs> off the charts. However, Tina Fey just. Whenever she appears on the screen in in anything, she just does such a great job, uh, and she does such a a good job of making this character really funny, mm. but also really approachable and just like you really care about her. And I'm just like I'm just happy she exists. Yeah, yeah. No, she's the best. Um. So hashtag Miminellas prefer the teachers over the students. <laughs> twenty twenty is the hashtag that's going to come out of this episode. If we're if we're going into that, I think the principal in. <laughs> In this is really wonderful. Oh, one one moment that I really love in, in the story is that the principal is kind of like that he's gathered all the 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 girls of the school together and he starts to kind of how to talk to them and then he kind of realizes that he's like actually I'm not qualified to mm. talk about this and defers to Mrs. Norbury. And to me that doesn't come off in a kind of like, oh, girls are icky kind of way. It's like, a, no, I actually don't understand what yeah. they're going through. Like, I don't have the experience to be able to talk about this. Like, here's somebody who does. Mm. Yeah. And like, the- more people should have the capacity to do that, to appreciate mm. where it's not necessarily their place. It's a, it's and a really you can't speak from a place of experience. It's a really... S- it's a really subtle moment, but I think it's it's really telling both of his character and kind mm. of the intention of the film. Yeah. He's a great character. He's great. You know yeah. who else is great? Amy Poehler. Just while we're while we're on this train of who we love. While um, we're talking about how the adults in the movie <laughs> or adults in both iterations of this are far superior. Uh, uh, Amy Poehler is Regina's mum, just steals the show. Amy Poehler can do no wrong. She is just perfect. Like yeah. she's she's a perfect performer in literally everything that she ever does ever, and this is no exception. Yeah. I also love that the whole idea that you write a movie and then cast your best friend like goes up to that level. Like mm-hmm. if I when I write stuff, I cast my best friends, um, <laughs> but that's just because I, I like them. But I like that you can still do that in Hollywood. Like that's fun. <laughs> I mean, that's that's Adam Sandler's entire career now. It's just. <laughs> Making film, like I, I think he just like picks like who do I want to hang out with this week? Where do I want to film? Oh, we're doing Hawaii with Kevin James. All right, let's do it. And that's just that's just what he does. Uh, the secrets into Adam Sandler's career. <laughs> so something that I want to talk about is the fact that um, I do think that Mean Girls, both iterations of it, are really is is really feminist at its core. And how I think that that is 
packaged in various ways to appeal to different audience members at different stages of their understanding of feminism. Um, I will elaborate what I mean more. That was like a a really bold statement to make with nothing to back it up. Um, Essentially, I think, obviously, I'd say first and foremost, the target demographic for both the movie and the musical is teenage girls because they're seeing their lived experience um, put on screen or on stage and that that's validating um, and I think that some of the feminist values that are portrayed especially in the musical are quite heavy-handed um, like for example Janice and Damien are used um, to, to varying d- degrees of effectiveness <laughs> as as narrators but they do have these moments where um, like, for example, uh, in the maths class where um, Katie pretends to not understand something so that Aaron will like, explain it to her, um, Janice, like, stops and is like, all right, did everyone just get that? Like, she just dumbed herself down so that a boy would keep talking to her. Like, it's really, like, you're, the audience is whacked over the head with, like, this is a feminist point that we're trying to make. Um, and same with... Like, there's one bit where Janice and Damien um, give this almost, like, little lecture about, like, pink isn't inherently feminine. And, um, yeah, there are quite a few moments of really overt, really, you cannot miss this point that they are trying to make feminism. Um, And I think that's really cool because it makes it really apparent to um, the target... Can't say that word. To the target demographic being teenage girls exactly what the message is that this work wants you to take away but that being said there are also lots of moments of the feminism um or like the commentary that kind of assumes knowledge of feminism um being a little bit more subtle um like the example that I think of, like I laughed so much at this joke there's this one bit um where Katie arrives at the Halloween party and Karen has this song it's called sexy it's about how you can dress up and um be whatever like sexy insert noun here for Halloween like she's a sexy mouse um sexy Eleanor Roosevelt or sexy sexy Rosa Rosa Parks Parks. oh it's a bit disparaging of those historical figures isn't it oh no but that's why it's funny Mm -hmm. um because it's not why they were notable. It's using exaggeration for comedic effect. I love that. Um, but basically there's this joke where Katie comes in and she is dressed like scary, like Halloween. And um, Gretchen, who I think is like a sexy cat maybe, um, is like, if you don't dress slutty, then you're slut shaming us. <laughs> Which I loved at so much. And I think the reason that I liked it so much is because <laughs> the notion of slut shaming is just so misguided and so incorrect <laughs> that you kind of have to have a base level of understanding of what slut shaming is in the first place to understand how wrong it is and to find it funny. So I think that while there are these moments where it like hits you over the head with the feminism, there's also this more subtle stuff that kind of speaks to people who are a bit more well-versed in feminism. Um, and I do think that there are teenagers um who 
do have a really solid understanding and um, understand like the vocabulary around feminism. And I love that. Teenage feminists who are listening, I adore you. You're amazing. Uh, so, yeah, I think it's kind of, it's really layered in the fact that there's this overt feminism. There are these jokes that you'll only understand if you kind of understand feminist rhetoric. Um, and I think that's really cool. It's very accessible to to anyone with any level of feminist knowledge. Yeah. They're like, I don't think you can walk out of a screening or a showing of Mean Girls and have missed the point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, being that, you know, we as a society encourage this kind of clickiness and female rivalry um, and that's crap. Jumping back a second to the song that we just mentioned, Sexy... <laughs> Um, Such a tune. <laughs> and and also jumping back, listeners of our podcast will know that we kind of are obligated to compare everything to Legally Blonde, uh, which was the first musical that we yeah, covered. Sorry, we don't make the rules. Uh, that's that's just the way it is. No, we absolutely make the rules. It's how podcast tells. <laughs> We've got to take responsibility. We do what we want. Uh, but I think that Sexy uh, is a good comparison to the song Bend and Snap, which we discussed back then, uh, in the sense that they kind of both fulfill the same... Uh, place or the same role in the story and that it's about kind of like women taking ownership of their bodies Uh, but our issue with the bend and snap was that it was for the intent of getting the attention of men Mm. and uh, getting sex whereas the song sexy is more about i want to dress in this particular way or i want to dress in whatever way i feel like and i'm going to do it because it makes me feel good so it's very much like it's the song sexy is more overtly sexual but seems a bit more self-empowering yeah yeah um i mean i think i do think it is important to note that like nothing exists in a vacuum and that anytime you're making a decision about like what to wear or um how to present yourself um you're always doing it um having the experience of somebody who's been conditioned by the society that you've been raised in. And I think there's probably always this underlying idea that um, when you are dressing up and have this notion of sexy in inverted commas, um, that you're to some degree um, fulfilling or working towards this idea of, especially in this context, um, feminine uh, beauty and uh, these ideals of um, how women are supposed to look and even though that's absolutely at no point like you mentioned in the song and um, with all due respect to Karen not sure that that's something that she would necessarily have clued up on given that uh, not being particularly intelligent is sort of her uh, key character trait um, <laughs> but yeah, cho- choices don't exist in a vacuum. And when you are um, dressing up, even if f- for a big part of it you're doing it because you want to feel good in yourself, um, it's very hard. Like it's it's almost impossible to draw the line between what's for me and what is to live up to what I've been conditioned to be supposed to look like. Mm. You know. So, like, uh, where does the song? fall like it, it it's very it's really uh 
I mean, that that whole sequence, like the Halloween sequence, where um, you have every all, all the the women kind of dressing in their their most revealing costume. Like, mm. I, it's so weird because all of this stuff's really um, subtextual. All, mm-hmm. all of those ideas are really subtextual. So, it's like, can we? Are, are we inherently supposed to condemn things like that because of the? inherent underlying patriarchal word I can't say um, uh, influences of it or should we openly embrace the fact that that here are women kind of taking ownership of how they want to look because that's how Mm. they feel well I think um, even though there's always going to be that element of um, trying to live up to the standards that you've been brought up to aspire to. Um, I don't think that that, nece- that you then, like, condemn anyone that wants to just, like, look and, and feel good in themselves. Like, I think, um, yeah, no, I, I absolutely think that um, even taking that into consideration, like, I absolutely want to advocate for everybody to dress, like, how how they feel what makes them, like where what that makes them feel good and express themselves um, in terms of their physical appearance in whatever way um, helps them to, to feel empowered because you can't separate the two so uh, just <laughs> I think that's the ne- next best option because because we live in the society that we live in these mm-hmm. that's just the, the way that the structures that have been put in place and without completely tearing everything down they're the structures that we have to work within. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. Yeah. Um, I want to talk a little bit about um, the adaptation between movie to musical. Um, I think this is a really interesting point and... Um, even though some of the differences aren't necessarily feminist-related, it also might be interesting to consider the fact that between 2004 and 2018, which is when the movie came out, I think, uh, the musical, sorry, uh, yep. um, that 
feminism gained a lot more mainstream understanding and attention um, and how that might have potentially shaped um, the musical. What are your thoughts on this, Ellis? I know you have thoughts on this. I have a lot of thoughts. Adaptation. So jump, jumping back um, uh, into another tangent, because that's what we do. <laughs> when I was back at university trying to start a PhD, one of the Classic. topics that I pitched the university was uh, musical adaptation and differences between adapting from stage to screen and vice versa. And they rejected that idea because nobody at the university was qualified. So Ellis will be presenting his thesis argument now. Here it is. <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> uh, but I do find it really interesting because uh, uh, both mediums have different languages mm. and a lot, of, a, a lot of people kind of forget that you have to fundamentally change the story that you're telling to make it work in a different medium. And one thing that I don't think Mean Girls does terribly effectively is take moments that work in film and make them work in stage by, uh, by a musical's own rules. Like the, the scene that kind of... Um, the scene that jumps out to me the most is the... The, con- the the apology scene mm. uh, where where Miss Miss um, Norbury Norbury thank you where Miss Norbury has uh, said we're gonna we're, everybody's gonna apologize publicly about uh, something that you've done to another woman and you're gonna do the trust fall and it's gonna be very cathartic for all of us mm. and it's a really wonderful montage in the film where it quickly cuts between all these different women they all jump into the um, into the trust mosh pit, I think is the technical name for it. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, and because of the way it's set up in the in the film, it's a really wonderful cathartic moment. You have underscoring and you have all of this, whereas in the stage show, you have to do it all in real time. Yeah. You can't just cut from one person's apology to another uh, in the same way, and yet they just try to recreate the scene yeah. as it's written in... Uh, as, as it was written in the film, and it just comes off much less effectively yeah. and much less intimately. Absolutely. There was something really intimate about that sequence um, in the film and very honest and heartfelt that just doesn't carry across into the bombast of a stage show. And I feel like there are a lot of moments where they've tried to keep things that worked or were successful or popular in the film and just didn't adapt them to the stage. Yeah, you have to have that scene because otherwise you don't have the line, she doesn't even go here. <laughs> like, did they keep that scene? Well, obviously you need that scene because it's kind of the climax of the whole storyline. But more importantly, you need Damien shouting, she doesn't even go here. Absolutely. Um, yeah, what, I've, what I find interesting about the adaptation between the two is the fact that in the movie you get a sense that a lot of time has elapsed between them first starting this exercise and Miss Norbury being like, this is a thing that we're going to do and this is important, and then the girls actually kind of getting on board and participating, whereas, um, like, it feels like that takes hours, you Mm. know? Um, And there's almost, in my mind, it almost feels like it gets a little bit darker to kind of show that it's, like, more into the evening. Yeah. Um, Whereas that has to happen instantaneously in the musical. It's like, this is the thing we're doing, and then, like, everyone's on board, which we all know is not realistic as anyone that has ever worked 
with teenagers and knows <laughs> that when you suggest something, it takes a little while for them to think that it's cool. <laughs> shout out to the performing arts. Actually, no, shout out to teachers. Just yeah. straight up. Well done. Like, Props to you guys. Like, yeah. you don't get nearly enough respect, and even when you are respected, it's still not enough. Yeah, damn straight. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, so I guess I, d- I don't really want to, like, harp on about all the, the minutiae in the ways <laughs> that the the film uh, wasn't adapted 100%. But it is interesting, because they've announced that a filmed version of the musical, they want to make it. Um, Which is great because in doing research for this podcast, Ellis, I may or may not have accessed footage of the musical in a somewhat legally dubious manner. (laughs) Yeah, I I feel like we should probably address that uh, (laughs) very quickly. Look, everyone knows theatre isn't accessible by design you have to go to the very specific place where they've set up and you have to pay a lot of money because it's very expensive to run and then you get to watch it in that space and nowhere else and while that is one of the joys of the theater it's very inaccessible and especially in a time of isolation where theaters have closed down everywhere uh we have no access to this these arts at all yeah and I personally think it's really important for theatre companies and theatre makers to make their show as as accessible as possible. I get it if you're like on Broadway or whatever, you want you don't want to give people an excuse not to come mm. see your show. Like I get that, but at some point you've got to say, well, let's make this accessible to a wider audience, people who can't afford to uh, mm. to come to the theatre, people who live in regional areas. Or when there is a global pandemic and everybody's locked in their house. That old thing. Yeah. Because even though bootlegs are incredibly popular, if anyone's not familiar with that term, bootleg means... um, Well, I guess it came from, like, prohibition. That's probably where that term came from, right? Um, I'm assuming so. But we're we're using it in the term that somebody's gone into the theatre, taken a video camera and filmed it and put it on YouTube. Um... Thank you kindly to... Well, no, this is going to make it sound like she did this. Um, <laughs> but I was just going to say thank you to my darling friend, Nikki, who is a, a Mean Girls, uh, the musical super fan and uh, knows where to find all the best bootlegs on YouTube, <laughs> um, including the one that I watched. I mean, didn't watch. Absolutely not. That's, no. that's it. We were able to see the professional Unethical. production uh, mm. last week. Um <laughs> I, I, I guess, um, from a standpoint, it, it is a very rude thing to do, both both to the show and to the performers, because you're 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 trying to like you're going in there and you're invading their space and you're trying to to take their hard work, mm. kind of and distribute it in a way that that it shouldn't really be distributed yeah. in. And it's so distracting for performers as well to like see oh, somebody filming. Yeah, we know when you've got your phones out, like. Um, Somebody's phone went off when I was Dewey on stage, um, and and I got to call them out on it in the middle of a scene. It was really wonderful, and it was it felt like I was reclaiming the space. Yeah, uh, as a performer, you were um, Patty Lapone in that moment. <laughs> if anyone doesn't understand that reference, you need to go look up Patty Lapone. I think she's like, "Stop filming!" Is that what she said? Oh, she's done a bunch of stuff. I I saw I saw one clip where 
Uh, she no, it's stop taking pictures. <laughs> That's what it is. <laughs> no, she um, oh, oh she's she's done all sorts. But I remember there was this one clip where she like exited the stage, and the exit was right beside the person who was like on their phone or filming or something. And she just reached over and took it oh, and kept walking. What a queen, oh, Patty Lapone. What I wouldn't give to be Patty Lapone. <laughs> but I guess the moral of the story is that um, while high quality video footage of musicals isn't available it's going to create this kind of like underground um Mm. bootleg culture um and it's going to make theater more accessible when it's professionally filmed and and available and people people have shown that if these things are accessible they will go out of their way to yeah. access them. Yeah, like, but- National Theatre Live uh, streams a bunch of stuff and, like, shows it in, in theatres, and, like, Andrew Lloyd Webber's been putting musicals up on YouTube yeah. for, during the quarantine. And so, like, if these things exist, people will go through the proper channels to get them. Absolutely. But when those channels don't exist, they resort to, to bootleggers. Yeah. Moral of the story, hashtag make arts accessible. Uh, I... I We've yeah. really gone on a tangent from the, a feminist critique <laughs> of Mean Girls, the movie and musical, haven't we? We, we have. I think, I, I think, like, last statement that we'll, we'll put on this is it, don't bootleg musicals, but thank you to those who have. <laughs> <laughs> I'm never oh, going to get hired again, am I? <laughs> um, let's talk about the representation of queerness in Mean Girls. Damien is a huge part of Mean Girls, uh, and from the outset, it's made very clear that he is a he is a gay man, mm. uh, and I think he's the he's probably the biggest example of queer representation that we've covered on the show so probably, far. Probably, yeah, but it's the first time that one of like the lead characters has been a queer person. Mm. Yeah, and. I don't know about you, but I love Damien. Oh, I love him. I love he's, him. I would give my life for Damien. <laughs> he's so sweet and self-assured mm. in who he is. And it's just really wonderful to see that portrayal normalized. Yeah, absolutely. I, what I really love about Damien is that, and, and um, how he's portrayed as well, is the fact that he is so... Um, he fulfills so many gay stereotypes. Like, he is this huge, like, music theatre nerd. Like, if you are also a music theatre nerd, as Ellis and I clearly are, and you, like, watch, especially the musical, um, it's really amped up. Um, He's got all these, like, random little kind of Easter egg music theatre references um, that you can be like, oh, my God, that's hilarious, and I understand it. Um, But... He's, he's stereotypical in the fact that um, he's incredibly camp and, um, you know, has a variety of pink shirts and um, obviously loves his musical theatre. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's not reduced to that stereotype. Like, he has all of these very clear, like, um, other personality traits that are in no way connected to his sexuality. Like, the fact that he is hilarious and the fact that he's, like caring and and wise and kind of takes Katie under his wing and he's incredibly perceptive and he has all of these insights about high school life. Um, 
which I think just makes him such a more well-rounded queer character than the other queer representation that we've discussed in previous episodes of. Mm. And it's really, I mean, great. It's so wonderful to see a character like this from 2004, mm. which like is simultaneously not that long ago, but in terms of representation... In terms of queer rights, it's a while it's ago. It's so long ago. And the fact that he is such a prominent and beloved part mm-hmm. of the story. Like, again, he probably has the most quoted line of the entire thing, which is, she doesn't even go here. Mm. Like, who doesn't know that and love that? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, that being said, neither of us are queer. So mm-hmm. I, we would be interested to hear, like, a queer perspective on whether you appreciate Dam- Damien's portrayal or whether you actually think, no, actually... The fact that he does fulfill all these stereotypes is kind of harmful. Like that, it would be an interesting. It would be interesting to hear a queer perspective oh, yeah. on that. So, if you have any um, thoughts and/or feelings about that, please like get in touch. Let us know because we'd love to hear a queer perspective on that. While we're talking about queer characters and perspectives, uh, a lot of Janice's story it surrounds the accusation or rumor, however you want to put it that she is a lesbian. Mm. Uh, It's kind of weaponized by Regina to make Janice an outcast. It's also, like, weaponized by Katie later on when she has, like, converted to being plastic and she's like, oh, my God, why are you obsessed with me? Are you in love with me or something? And at no point in the the musical uh, does it confirm what Janice's sexuality is. But in Mm. the film... She's kind of last minute paired up with Kevin the mathlete, mm. and they're, they're, they dance together, and then they're shown making out in the next scene. Yeah. And to me, I felt that was kind of disparaging to the message. Like the entire time, the entire like story, Janice hasn't really cared about these accusations, or has like uh, deemed them unimportant and not worth her acknowledgement because she is better than than that kind of backstabby bitchiness Mm. and to then immediately go no 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 but it's okay she is straight it's okay don't worry Mm. at the at the very end just felt a bit off to me yeah and the the ambiguity of the musical is a much um i think a much better way to to resolve that story yeah i mean i um I also don't really like her, like, heteronormative ending in the movie. Um, I think because the the stuff that she endures, um, like the, the slurs that are used against her and um, things like, oh, you can't come to my um, all-girl pool party, birthday party, because there are going to be girls in their bikinis and you'll be looking at them, whatever. Um, I would imagine um, are some of the things that, um, like gay women grow up experiencing. Like, um, I don't ha- personally have experience of this, but um, I'd, I'd imagine that you would have to endure um, a lot of these unpleasant experiences and then to kind of flip it on its head and make her straight at the end of the f- film kind of seems to undermine the fact that it might have been a great representation of the struggles of a queer woman growing up. Mm-hmm. It- it it just it also feels very narratively false like 
that Janice and Kevin has have like one interaction mm. before they're hooking up at the end, yeah. and it's like it's just kind of it feels very tacked on, and yeah. like I wonder if it was like a, a studio mandate, like you mm-hmm. can't we can't leave this unresolved uh, for the better, yeah. uh, but it, it feels so at odds in a piece that has Damien, which from our perspective is a really positive uh, example of representation for for queer people, to then kind of swerve off at the end with Janice's potential um, representation yeah. in that way. I do guess um, that the one thing it does serve from a narrative perspective in the film is that um, it kind of really shows the mis- the mishmash of how all of the cliques have dissolved and everyone is just interacting with everyone. Like Janice, who was, um, you know, this kooky artistic character is now dating like a mathlete, like mm. two people who were opposite ends of the cafeteria are now dating. So I guess from a narrative perspective, it does have that merit. Yeah. Um, but from a queer representation perspective, bam, bam. <laughs> um, but I, again, we aren't queer ourselves and we would love to hear uh, your opinions if you think mm. that her story was good or not. Um, please, yeah. please let us know. I, I also that like, like Janice is such a wonderful, strong character, and to have this big kind of like, to me, not a satisfying conclusion mm. to her story in the film. It's, it's kind of, it, to me, it feels, it feels very tacked on, and it feels very, like, bury your gaze kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I love Janice. Janice is so, she's such a badass. So cool. Oh. Love her all the way through. Like, she's just... And, yeah. and, and also the yeah. fact that in the musical she's played by Barrett Wilbur Weed, <laughs> whom I love with all of my being, uh, that really helps. <laughs> definitely helps. Yeah. Um, why don't we t- uh, talk about, very quickly, um, what's the representation like for people of colour in this story? So, interestingly, in the... Um, unethically sourced version of the musical (laughs) that I watched Um, the woman who was playing Regina was a person of colour and I was like damn that's cool and oh god like her vocals were so mint Um, I think her name is Ashley De La Rosa is that what Mm -hmm. we figured out her name was Um, oh man she was so good Um, but I think from the musical to me um, seemed to have like fairly good representation of people of colour. Um, the the ensemble, just at face value, looks quite diverse. Um, and the uh, in the original cast, like Ashley Park played Gretchen. Um, she's an Asian-American woman. And I do think that there tends to be a lot of um, colour blindness in the casting of the swings, at least. Mm. Um, so... Ashley De La Rosa, I think was we figured out was a standby for Regina. Yes, and then um, I stalked her Instagram because uh, how else do you find out about Broadway swings? And um, <laughs> there was this photo of her and um, another guy um, who was also a person of color, and it was like they had been on as um, Regina and Aaron Samuels, and the fact that they were both people of color was like really sick. Um, so I think, on one hand, the the musical 
does seem to have like fairly good um, diversity. On the other hand, when you kind of look at the original cast and like who was um, originally in the lead roles, they were still ninety percent white. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, very very white, and I mean even more so in the film. Like yeah. all of the plastics are are white women. All of like Damien Janice, uh, Katie, they're all uh, they're all white. But there are a couple of prominent um, people of color in the film. Like Kevin um, uh, is a uh, an Eastern Asian American, mm-hmm. uh, and the um, the principal is African American. Uh, so there's like, and and all throughout there. There is the notion of like people of color exist in our high school world. They just aren't important to the story, and they kind of mm. don't, yeah, don't really give them a voice or or much attention. Yeah. So while there is some level of diversity, it's definitely not like the shining beacon <laughs> of um, mm. you know racial representation by any means there is also a lot of um i guess it feeds into the the clickness of high school there's a lot of identifying groups of people by their race yeah. as well as like here's the the asian nerds and the cool asians and so there's a lot of kind of offhanded things like that yeah. all throughout the um the film and like most of the mathletes are like um, they're like Asian or like Eastern Asian mm. um, and I guess to some degree the whole point of the film is about critiquing stereotypes and cliques and so you need to have some level of truth in their representation in order to critique that um, so um, I suppose to some degree that kind of excuses that grouping <laughs> <laughs> but i i do think it's the way the musical seems to have handled its casting with swings and everything and the fact mm. that they aren't like well our our lead actress is white so all the swings have to be white i think the fact that they've thrown that out the window is yeah. wonderful and kind of how it should be yeah like it does it doesn't yeah, yeah. <laughs> in the um caption of the photo that ashley de la rosa posted um when both she and uh, the guy... I should find out what his name is. The, uh, the <laughs> swing who was on as Aaron Samuels, who's mm. also a person of colour. Um, something that she wrote was the fact that, you know, despite all of Regina's character flaws, like, she's somebody that everyone aspires to be and, like, is seen as... Um, is kind of, like, somewhat elevated um, in everybody's eyes. And the fact that that's not something that you normally see um represented by people of color like mm. that's not often how people of color are represented and, and that's that's wonderful the fact yeah. that they, they have that opportunity is just great that's sick mim yes ellis does mean girls pass the bechdel test um does kate like is there ever a conversation between katie and miss norbury about math i think there are several like surely yeah yeah um yeah that would be my first instinct i uh, upon watching it i don't think there is a conversation in the film that 
doesn't contain a woman in it. Regardless of mm. what the topic is, I think every scene involves women talking. There's never just like a couple of guys in a room yeah, talking on their that's own. That's so true. There's women involved in every moment. And of course they talk about men and and things like that. But I think, I think all throughout there's so much uh, meticulous planning of how they're going to take down the plastics between mm. Janice and, and Katie. And I, I think a lot of that comes from the fact that it was written by a woman. Absolutely. And yeah. it's great to, to have a story centering around teenage women that has their perspective really represented yeah. uh, and not seen through the lens of a guy yeah. or whatever. Like It does feel like a really truthful representation of what it is like to be a teenage girl in Western society. Mm. Um, and I'm not sure how common that is, that you can actually look at something as a teenager and be like, yeah, I, I see myself or I see at least my world accurately represented. Mm. Um, and I think there, there's power in that. There's validation in that. Yeah. Um, also, like ironically, I think that the scene where all of the plastics are like pointing out their physical flaws probably <laughs> passes the Bechdel <laughs> test, um, which is ironic because you know it's a um, it's a feminist test and something that is so. Um, I, I guess the concept itself of pointing out your flaws. Um, isn't a, a feminist concept, but the fact that it's being critiqued is. So on one hand, um, Bechtel test tick on something that is not a feminist conversation, but also <laughs> Bechtel test tick on something that for a scene in a movie that is self-critical and um, self-aware is inherently feminist. That, oh, that, was a, that was a roundabout way of explaining that, wasn't it? Loved it. Uh, before we decide whether we're going to rate or ruin it, do you have any other just quick comments that you want to say about the musical or the show or the, the film? Just what do you think? There's one more scene that I want to talk about really quickly, and it's the it's the mathlete competition scene mm-hmm. where um, it's up to the final question. Like it's a draw, and then each team has to pick. Um, someone from the other team to go head to head with someone from their team and the fact that both teams are like we picked the girl <laughs> I, I don't know what I just did like I tried to it was, it was like, a great impression of a man <laughs> but it, I couldn't decide whether I was doing an Australian accent or an American <laughs> accent so it was a bit warped um, but I think this ties back into a conversation that we also had around Legally Blonde about um women's intelligence being underestimated Mm. um and yeah i think it even is interesting to talk about the fact that um kevin's like oh come on the team because miss norbury says if there's a girl we get extra funding (laughs) that um because not that measures like that i'm not being disparaging about that i think that you know we need measures to encourage um women to be more represented in intellectual pursuits Mm -hmm. um but the fact that it happens because there aren't 
women participating in these like um you know really intellectual and often what is perceived to be like masculine disciplines Mm. like even if you just look at something like engineering um there's such a disproportion like there's there's so much gender inequality um not gender inequality like I, I don't know the ins and outs of the engineering world, but um, like if you look at an engineering cohort at any university, like there's going to be a really disproportionately high number of men in that cohort, right? Mm-hmm. And um, I think that's because we see stuff like maths and science as this really intellectual, really kind of like masculine discipline, mm. which is ludicrous because. Um, there is no difference in like intellectual capability between men and women. It's a societal, cultural mm. thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that was just something that made me think about how um, a female intellect is underestimated, and b how it's not cool for girls to do stuff that is seen to be really intellectual in the way that math and science is i think going on that like um the the romantic storyline between katie and aaron Mm. uh, only really comes to a head when katie embraces that aspect of her it's Mm. like i am a smart person i know i the entire through the entire film she's criticizing aaron's ability to do maths because she is smarter than him yeah and it's only when she embraces that side of her personality that they are able to to get together. That's the side that Aaron has kind of been attracted to yeah. all along, and it's only when she accepts herself and yeah. her abilities that they are able to to form a relationship. Yeah, and like that's not to say that you should be authentic so that you get the guy. <laughs> like you should no. be authentic for the sake of being authentic, um, but positive things are going to flow on from that regardless. Exactly. Of being your most authentic true self. you got to take care of yourself first. Absolutely. Ellis, are we going to rate or ruin Mean Girls, the movie and musical? From a feminist perspective, like, you have to rate it. You have to rate it. It's so... I think this is the first, like, overtly feminist piece that we've covered Mm. here. Like, Like, the intent of this story is to tell a feminist message like it's not only feminist it's purposefully feminist yeah like i think when we looked at legally blonde even though there are a lot of really feminist aspects i'm not entirely sure that that would have been actively on their mind being like we want to tell a feminist story Mm. whereas i have every confidence that tina fey was like let's do it let's teach teenagers about feminism yeah and, and I think she's succeeded in a lot of ways. Tina Fey, I love you. <laughs> uh, in, in terms of, like, qu- quality, um, the film's amazing. The stage show is there. there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, with apologies to my darling friend, Nikki Long, um, who, as I mentioned earlier, is a super fan. I, I had to, like, kept... I had to kept. I had to keep texting Ellis as I was watching the musical, being like, "Got to keep reminding myself this is a feminist critique, not a critique of the lyrics, <laughs> because my critique of the lyrics would by no means be as positive as my critique of the feminism." Oh man. But. But. That being said, mm-hmm. 
I don't think that any of the feminist values that are represented and the themes that are represented are lose anything. No. By virtue of the fact that sometimes the adaptation to stage is a bit clumsy. The the message is the same. Yeah. I think you get the same thing from it, yeah. just the way it's told. Yeah, it's still loud and clear. Yeah. Yeah. Um, moral of the story, Mean Girls the Musical and Mean Girls the Movie, A plus in our feminist hearts. So good. So, so good. Thanks Tina, for listening, Tina Fey, we love you. Tina Fey, we love you. Amy Poehler, we love you. <laughs> Barrett Wilbert Weed, we love you. Thank you for listening, friends. This is Feminism Ruins Everything. Have a great day. Take care of yourself. Bye. Bye. That was Fetch. <laughs> <laughs>